Hey there, and welcome to Greenflower Nation, a show to explore and understand how cannabis is impacting our society today. I'm your host, Max Simon, the CEO of Greenflower, which is the global leaders in cannabis education, and I'm a cannabis patient myself. On today's episode, we're exploring the impact cannabis is having on entrepreneurs and how smart men and women from all over the world are building an amazing new industry that's projected to generate over $145 billion globally within the next five to seven years. That's a lot. From entrepreneurs who are creating innovative new cannabis products and services to investors who are building exciting portfolios to hemp entrepreneurs who are taking advantage of hemp's newly legalized status, we're going to explore and understand all this in today's episode. If I were to ask you to visualize a cannabis entrepreneur, who comes to mind? Is it someone who's smoking pot in their basement? Maybe they're super lazy and coming up with all sorts of dumb ideas. Or do you think about someone who's sophisticated, innovative, into research and data, and even building a company that can scale the globe? Unfortunately, most people think the former. But the truth is, Cannabis is becoming one of the most exciting, most innovative, and most expansive industries today. And the people behind these companies are equally as compelling. You see, at the time we're recording this, 33 states are medically legal and 10 states have adult use. And what that means is that in those medical states, patients can get a recommendation from their doctor and then consume cannabis to treat some ailments and conditions. And in the adult use states, it means that anyone who's over 21 can essentially walk into a dispensary or get a delivery service and buy cannabis legally. Yet what most people just don't understand is that within every single state and also internationally, there's an enormous amount of opportunity for entrepreneurs to start businesses and scale businesses or even for professionals to join growing businesses and make their mark in this exciting new industry. So to learn more about this, plus to meet one of the leading entrepreneurs and investors in the cannabis industry, we spoke with Emily Paxia of Poseidon Asset Management. Emily and her brother Morgan run a cannabis fund that invests in early stage cannabis companies. And Emily actually spends her time kind of analyzing the cannabis marketplace and building relationships throughout the industry. I always say that Emily is a power player in cannabis because she really knows everybody. But she's also someone who's been known for supporting founders and stewarding good values in this industry. I should know because in full disclosure, Poseidon was an early investor in Greenflower. Can you tell us a little more about your business and some of the things that you've accomplished today? So our business is that we have an investment firm with two strategies dedicated entirely to investing in the cannabis industry. Um, the first investment fund that we launched was in January of 2014, and that was with the hopes of really investing in companies that would ultimately build an infrastructure of what we consider to be this modern cannabis era. What does that mean? Uh, that means building the software solutions around it, the media around it, the content, and and also through to the growing efficiencies and cultivators and processors, distributors and retailers. That's really interesting. Um, how did you get started? 
Um, when we set out to do this, we knew that people would want to invest in the industry, but the due diligence process would be laborious and time consuming and challenging. And so we knew that it would require some professional management to focus really entirely on this industry because it's quite complicated. That seems like a pretty smart thesis. How's it going so far? So that first fund has been running well, and we've had over 38 portfolio companies in that fund. We've had over 50 rounds of investment in that fund. And then we noticed there was a gap at this kind of Series A and later stage company. And so that's where we launched our second fund, which is a VC-only strategy. Um, VC-only strategy. Can, can you explain what that means? It's a little bit more focused in terms of the types of companies we're investing in, which is really software solutions to serve the operators and then the operators themselves across the entire plant-touching spectrum. So that's where we are today. And I think you have a really unique position because you get to see so many parts of the cannabis industry and the leaders behind it. So can you give us a breakdown of how you see these different sectors of the cannabis industry today? So when we set out to launch the fund, we actually subdivided the industry into subsectors. And so we looked at basically what were the gaps in the industry? Where were the areas that were underserved and that could not be served by things outside of the industry? And what did you see? What we did see is when we went into a cultivator, we went into a retailer, we were seeing them doing volumes of sales and volumes of production and growth, but they we're relying on kludgy systems, either kind of cobbled together Frankenstein software solutions or even more amazing paper and pencil. Oh gosh, that seems archaic in this day and age. Did it cause any problems? When you're trying to be transparent in an industry that's running largely on cash and you're trying to kind of raise your business practices up, it's really hard to do that if you don't have supporting systems. So the first things we really focused on were software solutions to the industry, data for the industry, and agriculture technology for the industry. Uh, one of the things we also noted that was a huge issue was that people weren't kind of looking down the line to where price compression would happen in the space. And so that's where agriculture tech really started to become interesting to us is that we thought the efficiencies of these grows would have to be improved. And and for us personally at Poseidon, that's a two-sided thing because we're big believers in sustainability and efficiency in terms of the way that we're using our resources for this industry, but it's also beneficial to the bottom line. So I hear really clearly that your first fund was focused on this ancillary side of the industry, like software and media and ag tech. But of course, there's a whole other sector of this industry, which is called plant touching. Can you share more about what that looks like? Absolutely. Uh, so the plant touching aspect of the industry is everything from cultivation or growing um, and that can be indoor or outdoor. It also has to do with processing and manufacturing. So uh, the new trends, if you look at the data, are about how form factors of ways people are consuming cannabis are changing. And so the flower, as we call it, or bud, as people used to call it, is kind of the diminishing piece of that pie, whereas these other categories, such as topicals, um, vape category, uh, consumables such as edibles or sublingual drops, those categories are increasing in size. And so you have to process the plant to get it to those um, ultimate form factors. And then there's manufacturing. So that's like contract manufacturing or manufacturing to create food-like products or sublingual drops or patches. And then there's distribution and retail. When you talk 
about all these different sectors and the companies and the opportunities, what is it that people still don't understand about this industry and what do you really want them to know? Uh, there's a couple of things. One, I think there's an assumption that the people in the industry are not sophisticated operators. And I don't think that's true with a broad brushstroke. I think that there are a lot of very sophisticated operators who've managed to run businesses that are generating significant revenue in spite of all of the challenges that they've had to face from regulatory constraints to insurance issues to losing bank accounts repeatedly um, to not having the solutions to support their business infrastructure that other industries have. So I would actually say that there's some exceptional operators in this industry. And I think that sometimes the hubris of people coming into the space demonstrate is frustrating for me because I think that it, well, and in the end, I don't think it will serve them because I think this industry is, will humble almost anyone who's been up against it. Even, even raising capital in this space is, is harder than any other space I can think of. For real, I can definitely attest to that. What else? I would say the other thing is that I wish people did understand the importance of contributing to the regulatory and political movements around the industry. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of the work that these individuals have done to shift and move policy forward. I definitely agree. We've worked with Normal and Drug Policy Alliance and the National Cannabis Industry Association, which are all really good groups to support. So how are you feeling about all the work that you've been doing in the cannabis industry today? You know, it's funny. People ask me what I used to do before doing cannabis, and it's I almost can't, can't even remember because this industry has changed my life in a way that I, I never could have dreamed it would. Now, when most people think about the entrepreneurial opportunities in cannabis, they jump to businesses that revolve around what we call touching the plant, cultivation, dispensaries, products like edibles or oils and stuff like that. But the truth is, there's a whole other wave of opportunity in a completely different sector of the industry that we call ancillary businesses. And ancillary businesses in cannabis are essentially all the products and services that support the industry, like legal, consulting, software, media, and events. To learn more about this, we spoke with another power player in the industry, a woman named Cassandra Farrington. Cassandra is the co-founder of Marijuana Business Daily, which is a leading B2B publication and event producer whose events often boast up to 28,000 people and draw hundreds of company sponsors. She's really a shining example of an entrepreneur who's built a thriving ancillary cannabis business. We caught up with Cassandra right before she was actually about to give her keynote all about the growth she's experienced in the event industry. So can you tell us how did you decide to start your business? So Marijuana Business Daily started genuinely as a business-to-business -business media platform. Um, my business partner and I come from that background, and we simply saw an opportunity back in 2010 to help this emerging industry, which, you know, at that point was 10, 12, maybe 15 medical marijuana states, uh, and the business operators that were starting dispensaries and cultivation activities in those states as businesses, 
um, to help them figure out how to do that better, how to do their jobs better, how to run their businesses better. So, you know, it was a natural extension from for us and what we were already doing in other markets to expand into the cannabis space. What did people think when you started in the beginning? In the early days, really, the, the people who knew what we were doing were our immediate friends, close family, those sorts of people. And they all got it pretty quickly. You know, when they sure there is always a giggle factor when people find out that you're working in marijuana for the first time. Although, Max, as you know, that's gotten less and less and less over the years. And do you see there's been a big shift today in terms of how people are looking at being part of the cannabis or marijuana industry? Oh, absolutely. You know, in the early days, there were a lot of people who were intrigued by it, but certainly not in any sense that they wanted to take part. They were interested in hearing about it, um, but you didn't hear a lot of, oh, not a great idea. I need to go do that. Nowadays, when people find out that you work in the cannabis industry, they are really interested in things like, how did you get involved in that? What was your idea? What are the great business opportunities? What would you recommend I do? It's a very different conversation nowadays. So let's build on that for a sec. You know, you're in events and media, and this this segment is really about ancillary business categories in the cannabis space. And so when you look at that ancillary marketplace, and I've heard you speak about this before, um, where do you see some of those great opportunities? What is that advice you give to people when they're thinking about participating? The way that I think about this is whatever you are doing in the non-cannabis world, you can do that in the cannabis world as well. You don't have to be a master grower. You don't have to know everything about the plant and, and, and know all of its medical properties and how to recommend and what to recommend for either adult use, recreational, or medical purposes. Whatever you are doing, if it's insurance, if you're a lawyer, if you are a uh, store designer, whatever you are, there is not an industry out there that is not either disrupting or being disruptive by or serving the cannabis industry. It's really fascinating when you start digging into it at the many, many ways cannabis affects every other industry that's out there. And therefore there's an angle for anybody out there to enter the cannabis industry. Now, I do think that people hear about this whole thing and they just feel like it's the you know biggest opportunity and the easiest thing in the world. But I'm curious, as you've been building the business you've been building, what have been some of the greatest challenges and greatest obstacles that you've had to overcome? No question in the early days, it was the stigma. Um, you know, it, everything from bank accounts to leases to for us as we were trying to build up our conference event, getting venues to work with us and, and being able to convince them that, no, really, we mean it when we say we're bringing several thousand cannabis industry professionals. Such people really do exist. And then at some point, it really, the biggest obstacle switched to how fast things are moving and how fast this industry is growing and everything that we can do and need to be doing to keep up with it and to serve it in the way that we know we can and the way we feel it should be served with the media and event properties and activities that we do. It just, it feels like we're always drinking from the fire hose and we always feel like we could and should be doing something a little bit better for the industry. What are some examples of some of those fast-paced, ever-evolving places in cannabis? Because I think that people don't actually understand it or see it as clearly as you do when you're on the inside. So can you speak to some of those specific places that you see really evolving quickly in this industry? Well, right now, by which I mean the first half of 2019, I'd say the fastest growing areas or segments of the industry are the hemp space. 
with the passage of the Farm Bill late last year, that was a game changer. And there's a lot of interest in everything from cultivating hemp all the way through to extracting and marketing CBD, uh, the financing and investing space. This is now a billion and billions of dollars industry with investments flowing in each and every day uh, to total that number. It's just a fascinating thing to watch evolve and both people who are new to investing but no cannabis and then people who are new to cannabis but no investing they need all kinds of information. And so we're trying to serve those two markets. Third one I'd mention is the international expansion of this industry. It has very quickly within the last 12 months flipped to become a global industry. Uh, and that's not gonna slow down either. What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions people have about the cannabis industry are? I think that, that a lot of those early misconceptions are starting to fade away and I'm really glad for that. Those were, very much that this was a stoner's market, that, that everybody who was involved in the cannabis space you know, must have dreadlocks and, uh, and tattoos all over. And not that there's anything wrong with dreadlocks and tattoos anyway. I know several very savvy and interesting business people um, who don't look the part. And so getting past that, um, that stigma from the mainstream was certainly an early challenge. These days, it, it, you know, just, it, it really does continue to be about you know, working through the pace of growth uh, and continuing to normalize the business environment through things like banking um, and legal structures. And so just to kind of wrap this up today, if you were going to give some advice to our listeners who were considering the opportunities from an entrepreneurial standpoint in cannabis, what, what would you say to them? I would say that when people say this is the greatest entrepreneurial opportunity in a generation, I completely back that sentiment. However, it is not that you have missed the boat. It is not that you have are not moving quite fast enough. It is far more important to take your time, understand what you're doing, understand the industry, and interact with people uh, who who do know what they're talking about before you make your leap. You are not going to miss this boat. If it's not too late to get into pet food, which it's not, if it's not too late to get into healthcare markets with a new business idea, it's not too late to get into cannabis and it won't be too late for an extraordinarily long time. As you heard from Cassandra, one of the highest growth sectors of the industry is the hemp sector. Now, hemp and cannabis are actually the same plant, but by the government standards, hemp is just cannabis that contains less than 0.3% THC which means that it really doesn't have any of the psychoactive properties that make you feel high. Instead, the hemp plant has a huge variety of other reasons and benefits that people use the plant, many of which we'll explore and understand today. And this is where smart entrepreneurs are definitely taking advantage. To learn more, we spoke with my friend Ari Sherman, who is the co-founder of Evo Hemp, which makes innovative hemp food and hemp CBD products, that amazingly can be found in over 5,000 retail stores nationwide. I'm a big fan of his hemp protein. Ari has been an amazing advocate for the hemp industry, and more importantly, how hemp foods can impact a person's health and well-being. So first, I think people get a little confused when we talk about hemp and cannabis being a part of the same industry. So would you mind just taking a moment to explain what's the same, but also what's different about them? 
Yeah, probably the most commonly asked question in our industry is, you know, what's the difference between industrial hemp and then, then this drug variety of cannabis? Um, and it really comes down to, in the 1970s, there was a Canadian researcher uh, named Ernie Smalls who, who got paid by the federal government there to kind of figure out, you know, what is really the difference between this industrial crop and this drug variety. And he really landed on 0.3% uh, THC, or the psychoactive ingredient found in cannabis. So if a hemp plant or a cannabis plant has 0.3% THC or less, it would be considered the industrial variety. And if it has 0.4% THC or more, it would be considered the drug variety of cannabis. I really separate uh, cannabis into three different kind of plants. Uh, you have your cannabinoid, you know, variety where you're either, you know, have, you're cultivating for your psychoactive or non-psychoactive cannabinoids like CBD or THC. Uh, you have your seed or food variety where you're cultivating for the seeds for, a, you know, a central source of protein and omega fats. And then you have your fiber variety where you're cultivating for your, you know, those large stocks to where we can make clothing and different building materials. And so that's kind of the three main uh, different cannabis varieties, in my personal opinion. Uh, but then, you know, it's, it's really as simple as that 0.1% of a molecule that really kind of defines the two plants. Really great and clear description. Um, and I think the other thing I'd love for you to talk about for a moment is what's happened recently, you know, end of 2018, 2019, that really opened up the opportunities in the hemp field. Yeah, absolutely. There was a farm bill that was uh, passed at the end of 2018 there um, that really kind of defined uh, industrial hemp from the drug variety of cannabis. Um, and so, you know, up until then, uh, industrial hemp was even kind of uh, controlled by the DEA, the, you know, the Drug Enforcement Administration here. And then it was after that farm bill had passed, it had moved over to the FDA's jurisdiction. So it had now become, you know, from a you know, Schedule 1 uh, plant to having, you know, no value whatsoever um, to now where it's moved over to the FDA where we can now kind of test these products. We can cultivate them across the country as long as the state law allows it. Uh, it also allows interstate commerce of all hemp products. Um, and so a big kind of confusion before this farm bill was, uh, are these, you know, non-psychoactive cannabinoid products, these CBD products, are they legal and are they going to be able to be sold across state lines? And it wasn't really defined until that farm bill passed. And so now uh, retailers, manufacturers um, now have the confidence that they can go out and, and sell these products to consumers and they can have safe access to them. So one of the conversations that I really wanted to have with you today is to understand the reasons why not only you're so excited about hemp, but what the opportunities are for entrepreneurs within the hemp space. Because I think most people simply don't understand the versatility or the opportunity that's available today, especially with the farm bill passing. Yes, there's so much opportunity that can come from this plant. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of applications that you can, you know, either create or manufacture products derived from industrial hemp. 
Um, you know, one of the ones that are a little lesser known, but I'm, I'm quite excited about is, is actually the building materials that can be created. So the fiber, the stalk of the plant, can be utilized to create a, a hempcrete, basically mixing limestone and water and make a very strong, sustainable, uh, concrete-like material that people use to build warehouses and homes uh, across the world. You can also utilize uh, the stalks as a great source of insulation. Um, so I'm really excited about, you know, working with our, our native American partners out of the Pine Ridge Reservation uh, in particular because they have about 60% of their homes, um, you know, are, are uninhabitable, whether that is because of mold issues or because of structural problems. Um, so we're really excited about utilizing this plant to, to build sustainable homes and, and buildings uh, right there on the reservation. Um, and there's just so many of these applications that, you know, from building materials to food to clothing, um, really countless opportunities. And, and, and people can really kind of, you know, find what they're really passionate about and, and go home and research how that connects with, with industrial hemp because um, this plant can really affect uh, numbers almost any industry out there. I remember distinctly the conversation you and I had, and it was actually the first time I'd heard it when you had told me that that hemp seed was the most nutritionally dense uh, food on the planet. And so can you talk a little bit more about the food applications of hemp? Yeah, definitely. You know, that was kind of my really first big interest uh, in this plant was, was from a food standpoint. My mom's a nurse and a nutritionist, and you know, we were talking one day about different superfoods, and, and she had brought up hemp seeds, and, and uh, you know, I thought at hemp at the time was you know, more of a kind of a novelty where you would put it in your products because it was kind of a, a cool marketing you know, tactic, but what I went home and I researched it and just kind of Googled, you know, hemp nutritional profiles, quite blown away that it is in fact the most nutrient dense food source on the planet. The, the body can literally survive off of eating hemp seeds and drinking water because it does contain all of the essential amino acids. It actually has the most digestible protein out of any other plant source. It's also an incredible source of omega-3 fatty acids, really this ideal ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. So it's makes it really digestible for the body, um, and it has a great mineral profile, some really hard minerals to get, like manganese and magnesium. Um, so it's really, you know, not only one of the most sustainable plants for the environment, but it's also one of the most sustainable plants for our body as well. So, you know, I know with hempcrete, it's specifically cheaper to produce, lighter, has greater insulation, and that could be quite disruptive to the building materials or the construction industry. Now we talk about hemp foods being so nutritionally dense, and that could be disruptive, if you will, to the food industry. Are there other spaces where hemp could really have a profound impact as we develop it? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the sectors that's, you know, a little bit, you know, further in the future, but is, is really ripe for disruption is actually the, the energy industry. Um, so, you know, in particular, uh, battery storage. So industrial hemp can create these really incredible supercapacitors. It's basically like this material called graphene that's really great at storing up energy. So now we can start making these, you know, hemp-based batteries. 
you know, we it, traditionally we find, you know, lithium-based batteries in our cars now, in our computers, in our cell phones. We're utilizing so much of this lithium material, which is not a sustainable material at all, um, and, and it's quite hard to dispose of. And, and now we're looking into, you know, plant sources like industrial hemp um, to create these battery storages. And then you have something that, you know, is not only going to be incredibly effective and efficient, but it's also going to be really easy to dispose of. And, and quite frankly, biodegradable and will be able to break down into our environment. Um, so, yeah, I, I really see, you know, food building and energy as some really ripe industries for hemp disruption. And talk to me for a moment about how the Farm Bill's legalization of hemp has also helped fuel the CBD movement. Because of the Farm Bill passing and because of the clarification that has happened, um, you know, removing um, CBD products from kind of the DEA's grasp over to the FDA um, has really kind of created a more established industry where it's much less gray and, and is overnight becoming more black and white. We're now seeing CBD being sold across the country and in major retailers like CVS and Walgreens, where if a few years ago you would have said that to me, I would say, oh, well, I don't think we're a little bit too far away from that. But um, it's, you know, almost overnight kind of made this uh, a staple product. So I'd like to ask all of our guests here, because this uh, show is so much about the impact that cannabis can have on someone's life. If you were to give some advice or some guidance to somebody who's looking at participating in the hemp industry as an entrepreneur or as a professional, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say, you know, really kind of uh, first start with your passions. Um, you know, I, I kind of gotten brought into this because I've you know, been passionate about food and superfoods. And my mom kind of introduced it to me, uh, you know, as, as hemp as a great superfood. Uh, but then, you know, I have a friend who had a hemp clothing company. And, you know, that kind of sparked the conversation. And so really there's, you know, like I said, thousands of these applications where industrial hemp can be incorporated into but then you have really have the next step is education. Um, there, you know, luckily now a lot of great organizations like Green Flower coming out with, you know, tons of good content and, and teaching people about these benefits of these plants and, and, you know, from building materials to, you know, medicine to clothing and, and energy storage, really, you really want to go in and dive deep and figure out. And, and timing is always, you know, kind of uh, a, a thought to have too. Like maybe we're not quite ready to kind of start a hemp battery company, but maybe we can start by, you know, making hemp creep materials and utilizing these fibers um, to where the technology will speed up. And um, really, you know, it's a rapidly changing and, and growing industry. And so you really want to learn as much as you possibly can. So what did we learn today? Well, we learned that there's a ton of opportunity in cannabis and finding where you can focus is really most important. We learned that investors are getting rich and entrepreneurs are getting rich, especially when you can really follow the thing that you're most passionate about. And we discovered that hemp and the hemp industry is a brand new opportunity and that smart entrepreneurs, investors, and professionals should really take a hard look and consider the kind of impact being a part of this blossoming new field could have on your life. 
What I'm hoping you take away is that the cannabis industry is genuinely a force for good. And when you can jump in and learn about it, there's a real opportunity for it to impact your life and the lives of the people around you. I know that since starting my cannabis business, which is all about cannabis education, it has been one of the most exhilarating, fulfilling, challenging, but also fun rides of my entrepreneurial life. And so I encourage you, if you're somebody that likes to build businesses or contribute to the growth of businesses, to take a good hard look at the impact cannabis is having on entrepreneurs today. Now, I'd love to turn this episode to you, our Greenflower Nation listeners, so that we can better understand the impact that cannabis is having on your life or the people around you. Go ahead and head over to green-flower.com forward slash nation to share your story and also get some valuable tools to support you on your cannabis journey. We'll also include the link in the show notes. And of course, if you like this episode, please rate it, share it, and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.